I've been a pastor in the district for a little over 40 years, served at, uh, in La Center, which is just north of Vancouver, Washington, for about 10 years, and then I've been down in Klamath Falls, as far from here in the Pacific Northwest as you can get um, for the last 30 years. It's been a privilege to serve with the Pacific Northwest District, and I want to greet you on behalf of the district board, the district overseers. Um, we exist as a mission to the Pacific Northwest, which is a very strategic and challenging mission field, as you probably well know. Our purpose is to develop and to foster healthy churches, healthy pastors. The number one way that, that God reaches people is through the church. There's a lot of strategies out there, but the strategy of our Lord Jesus Christ was, I will build my church. So we exist to further that. This church has had a great relationship with the Pacific Northwest District for a long time. It was planted by our district church planter, Eldon Padgett, 35 years ago. And uh, we appreciate the relationship we have today. We, we thank you for your support of the district. We can't function without it. The kinds of things that we do is we bring uh, to bear people with expertise, particularly to help pastors and their wives. At any given time, we will have 20, 30 pastors that are struggling with something and need some support. We have specialists on the district uh, staff, and then we have our board is made up of overseers. We've divided the district into six regions, and these overseers are experienced pastors who can be, who can be nearby and who can respond. Uh, your regional overseer is Jeff Sickles, who's over in Snohomish, just across the water. And I've known Jeff ever since he came into the district, probably about 30 years ago, and really love this guy. He's a, he's a solid, younger man with a lot of wisdom. We uh, help churches with transitions, pastoral transitions. Um, we help churches that get into problems and don't know what to do. Normally, pastoral transitions are good and healthy, but sometimes pastors do things that are out of line. And if your pastor gets out of line, you have backup. You can call us, and we will be here. Uh, but our, our desire is to, is to serve him and help him be healthy and feel like he's not alone in this. Um, we help pastors get caught up on theological education. Not only pastors, but lay people. Leaders in your church can participate in the Gateway program to uh, become uh, knowledgeable, uh, knowledgeable enough theologically that you could become credentialed in some way to serve in the Evangelical Free Church. We're tied into the Evangelical Free Church of America, um, which... Is I, I am in the Evangelical Free Church by choice. It is a solid evangelical church that is furthering the work of Jesus Christ. It's not the only church out there that's doing it, thank God, but it's a good place to be. So today we'd like to talk a little bit about your place as missionaries to the Pacific Northwest District, to the Pacific Northwest. And Whidbey is its own culture. We've been able to spend three days here and, and interact with people and kind of get a feel of what your mission field is. 
Um, so a guy named Howard died, and uh, he finds himself waiting in line for judgment, and he notices some souls are sent to heaven, and Satan grabs others and throws them into the fire. And, but every so often, Satan picks up a soul and just tosses them aside. And finally, as he gets up in line, he's curious, and he, he walks up to Satan and says, excuse me, but uh, you're tossing them aside rather than flinging, flinging them into the fire. Uh, what's with that? And Satan says, well, they're from the Seattle area. They're too wet to burn. We understand. We lived in southwest Washington. and So by the time Bobby arrived, the football game had already started, and his friend says, why are you so late? He says, well, I couldn't decide between going to church and going to the football game, so I tossed a coin. friend said, well, that shouldn't have taken so long. Well, says Bobby, I had to toss it 35 times. Why do we go to church? Why do we do church? Um, here it is. It's a weekend and you're all scrubbed up, dressed up. Uh, you got up maybe earlier than you'd like to and you're here. What's in it for you? What, what motivates you to do that week after week after week? We spend a lot of time and effort and money you come here, and they ask you for money. And uh, then they ask you to help out. And I see somebody back there working in the kitchen right now. And I could see people working with little kids as I walked down the hall. And uh, there will be people here long after most of us leave, closing up. There's, you know, we, so we, we work on facilities, meals. We spend time in committee meetings. Um, we pay for full-time staff, part-time staff. What motivates us? What do we get out of it? Uh, people have a lot of reasons for going to church. It gives us a social life. Some people are lonely, and, and they can meet people. They can make friends and, and then see them regularly. It's a place to hang out. Um, it can give us intellectual stimulation or personal stimulation. A sermon is designed to get us, to help, uh, help us improve ourselves. Um, and uh, you, come to, you can get a sermon a week, and you can get some teaching. Um, might even feed our souls. It can give us a good feeling in worship. We might, we might even feel closer to God. And there's, there's a good feeling in feeling closer to God. Um, if, you, if you serve, if you help out, you can feel like, I did something worthwhile this week. I did some good. Uh, Maybe we go to church in order to feel okay with God. I kind of slipped a bunch of times this week, but I can, I, can, I can go to church, to God's house, and now we're okay. Or maybe we do it because we want our spouse and our children to be okay with God. Um, or maybe because our mother told us to. And that's why I originally went to church. <coughs> so a mother went in to wake up her son one Sunday morning, she knocked on his door and he said, I'm not going. Why not? I'll give you two good reasons. They don't like me and I don't like them. <laughs> his mother replied, I'll give you two good reasons why you will go to church. 
You're 47 years old and you're their pastor. Or are there other reasons why we do church? In some countries, they do church to control the population because that, that's uh, something that the government can control. Or, we, or uh, some people do it for fame and fortune. There are some very well-known personalities out there that are uh, leading churches. Um, or for personal enrichment, that kind of thing. The, um, we hope that's not our tradition. In fact, in the DNA of the Evangelical Free Church of America, the Free Church Movement started in the 1880s to get away from that kind of thing, to be a place where people could worship according to their conscience. Um, so maybe to understand why we do church, we need to look at why it was started in the first place. There have always been religions in various localities of various persuasions, but when the church started, it spread literally to every nation on earth. And uh, sometimes the end, so whose idea was it? Now, sometimes the answer is obvious. During his children's sermon, the assistant pastor asked the kids, what's gray and has a bushy tail and gathers nuts in the fall? And one five-year-old raised his hand and said, well, I know the answer should be Jesus, but it kind of sounds like a squirrel. <laughs> In this case, the answer is Jesus. The church is Jesus' idea. He told his disciples, and specifically Peter in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church. And uh, the church is also the Father's idea. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. They are of one mind. And in Ephesians 1, Paul tells us about the part, the part that the Father has continued to play. He says, I want you to know what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead. It was fun singing about that this morning and seeing how the music changes when, when uh, up from the grave He rose again and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet. This is what the Father has done for Jesus. And gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, I, as I've studied that passage, I've been tracking right along until I get to that point. The fullness of him who fills all in all. What in the world does that mean? This means that Jesus, who fills the universe, who fills everything, has chosen to be seen in his fullness as he inhabits us. He's chosen for the church, us, to be his body and to be seen in his fullness as he does his work through us. That is an unbelievably high calling. It's an unbelievably impossible calling. 
if it weren't for the fact that it's Him that works in us. So, this is the heavenly, glorious view, and we can't fully grasp it yet. It's not fully revealed what, how we're going to reveal the fullness of Christ. But Paul goes on and talks about the earthly implementation. In Ephesians 2, he says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you also are being built together into a dwelling of God by the Spirit. You are meant to be where God lives. And we together are meant to be a dwelling for God. Now, this is a, I've always loved this passage, but there is a question. What prophets are they talking about? Old Testament prophets? Maybe New Testament prophets? The important thing is that a biblical prophet is one who relays messages from God to us. They speak with God's authority. And an apostle is one who speaks with the authority of Christ. So the foundation, it says, we're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets um, laid by them is truth, God's truth given with God's authority through these human mouthpieces. And so we are a people of the book. The Bible was given to us by the apostles and prophets. And through that, we can know about God, and as we come to know about God, we can come to know and experience God personally. Now, it says Jesus is the cornerstone. That means he sets the standard. Have you ever watched a cornerstone laid on a, on a, a building, maybe a large church that was under construction? This is the stone that is laid most carefully. And there's often a ceremony that goes with it because everything else is measured off of that. That sets the direction. It's got to be level. It's got to be true. And uh, it sets the standard by which the rest of the building is constructed. And we're told that in the church, Jesus is the cornerstone. He sets the standard. We follow him. Um, we need to be square with him. And uh, we make up the superstructure of the whole thing. So what is the church? In Ephesians 1, we're told it's, it's Jesus' body. In Ephes here in v Ephesians 2, we're told... It's a building growing into a, a large structure, but it also says we're God's kingdom, we're God's family. These are all pictures that are inadequate to describe the living entity, which is God indwelling his people. The church is rational, it's based on truth, it's living, it's growing, it's unified. Truth is what unifies us, and the, our relationship with Jesus is what unifies us. And that, that's one of the things I like being a, about being in the Evangelical Free Church. We have a way of bringing Christians together uh, throughout a community or throughout a region because our focus is Jesus Christ. Now, we've got specific things that we believe and practice, 
But the important thing is who Jesus is, what he's done for us. Um, so he's given us this incredible goal of growing into and displaying Christ in his fullness. That's what we're here for. So how does this work? I'm going to look at several, or we're going to look at several very well-known fundamental passages, and I want to give you my thoughts on them. Helps us to refocus what we're here for. Ultimately, the church is for God. To have a people of his own for all eternity. But in this age, he has given us some specific commandments and a specific commission. This is a God who loves the entire world. He loves all people, and he wants something of us. He wants us to reproduce followers of him. He's made us to reproduce. Uh, This is also known as making disciples. Now, a couple weeks ago, Bruce Martin, our district superintendent, was here. And he talked about the great commandment to love the Lord our God and to love others. And this is essential to making disciples. But Jesus also gave us the great commission. We're going to look at some of those verses. In Matthew, Jesus said to them, "All Now listen to the uh, absolutes in this verse. Now by an absolute, I mean this is true always in every case. It's an absolute. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You don't have to fear any other authority when you're following this authority. He is in charge of it all. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. You have authority to go anywhere. And one of the things I enjoyed about hearing Eric and uh, Eric and, and Lynette <laughs> in the previous hour is they, they showed this picture of the flags, over 60 nations represented by the, by the children of missionaries. And as he was going through his presentation, some countries you would say, just security. They couldn't tell us what country they were in, but... We have the authority from Jesus Christ to go into uh, countries that aren't necessarily open to the gospel, but there's ways to do it. Go into all nations. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. That's how you make disciples. Everything we've learned from Jesus, we pass on. All that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus has all authority. It's absolute. There's no higher authority to tell us otherwise. And if this authority tells you to do something, you can do it. It doesn't matter if he tells you to walk on water. The man did. If he tells you to part an entire ocean, somebody did. If he tells you to fight a giant or heal your mortal enemy of blindness, which Ananias was told to go heal Saul of Tarsus of his blindness. And he has told all of us to make disciples of all people everywhere. It's another absolute. So you can do it. I don't care who you are. 
sitting there. I don't care if you're an introvert. I don't care. You can make disciples because the God with all authority has told you to do it. And he's promised to be with you. He will always have your back. So that means if we're going to teach them to observe all that Jesus has commanded us, we need to know how to observe all that Jesus has commanded us. We can't reproduce what we're not. And that's one of the reasons we have church. God's gifted preachers and teachers that can open the word for us and help us understand it better so that we can study it ourselves and come to know God better. The very last thing Jesus told us, the very last words before he left this planet, tell us where his heart was, what was really important to him. Acts 1.8, you, you, my followers, will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So the one who has all authority has given us authority to be his agents, to carry out his plan. He didn't say, will you please? He said, you will. Now, if you're a Christian, you are a witness. People watch you. The only question is, what kind of witness are you? Um, and the plan that Jesus outlined here is to start at home. Um, Jerusalem. And then to go, and here's another absolute, into all of Judea and Samaria. Now, this is why we are, in, in district leadership, we're motiv motivated. Our Judea and Samaria is the Northwest. And as an evangelical free church, you are part of an organization that God has raised up, for better or for worse. The church is not perfect. We're not perfect, but God is. And he's given us a district to be part of so that we can together make the Pacific Northwest our mission field. And then, um, so we're, we, we are, first of all, the beneficiaries of this because from Jerusalem, we're as far to the ends of the earth as you can get. But the followers of Jesus were faithful. And here we are, benefiting from them being faithful to what he commanded them. Now for us, Jerusalem is, uh, what's the name of the community right here? Pardon? Yeah, yeah. And then... Um, Yesterday we drove around the island. We got as far north as, and I'm not remembering the name of that little town either, but it was on the water. It's a beautiful little town. And uh, no, we didn't get that far. No, we didn't get as far as Oak Harbor. We, <laughs> yeah, yeah, fun place to go. Um, so. Um, this is your region, and you know it better than I do. And we'll talk about what, 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 do you, what, what is your role here. Um, 
you participate even more. I saw on your website that you support several missionary couples, and it's a real pleasure to be able to meet the Sturgises this weekend and hear their heart and hear uh, how clear their sense of mission in going to the rest of the world is. And, and you can participate in that, but don't just give them money and put a check mark by it. Get to know them. Pray for them. And uh, in this age of media, it's easy to stay in touch. I can, uh, I can call or email our missionaries anywhere in the world, anytime, just as easily as I can my neighbor who's next door. So there's no reason to not stay connected with what they're doing. Um, now, taking the concept of disciple-making further, in 2 Timothy, Paul told Timothy this. He says, what you have heard from me, remember Jesus said, teach everything that I have commanded you. Now Paul says, everything that you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men. And he didn't stop there. He said, who will be able to teach others also. And this brings us to a very, very important definition of disciple-making. Disciple-making is not just making disciples. Disciple-making is making disciple-makers. Paul told Timothy, pass it on to others to the point where they will pass it on to others. And he could continue to the point where they will pass it on to others. 2,000 years later, we have had people in our lives to disciple us so that we can pass it on to others who will then, you know, if, if the Lord waits another hundred years, you better be passing what you know on to people well enough that they can pass it on to your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. Hope the Lord doesn't wait another hundred years, but I've talked to people who a hundred years ago were saying, man, we don't think the Lord can wait in another two or three years. That was a hundred years ago, and here we are. He'll come when he's good and ready. Now, this is a very strategic concept. If you study communication, you may, you'll hear about a thing called the feedback loop. Communication is not complete when a message is sent. How do I know if you're understanding anything I'm saying? Now, I'm going to walk away from here going, okay, job done. Uh, the communication loop, we use this in counseling a lot. I do a lot of counseling. And sometimes we'll stop in the middle of something. I'll turn to a husband and say, did you hear what she just said? And he'll, uh, or maybe he'll say, yeah, I did. And I said, okay, what did she just say? And I'll ask him to repeat it. And I'll turn to her and say, did he understand what you just said? And she'll say, not quite. Okay, let's, let's do this again. Until he can feed back to her so that she knows that he understood what she was saying, that closes the feedback loop. We have recently become grandparents. And whereas it was wonderful to have children... And we love our children. We, it was a great experience. But now to see them raising children, we've seen them, to grow, we've seen them grow to be what we were when we first met them. There's a sense of completeness. Uh, it closes the circle. 
And it's the same with spiritual reproduction. Uh, we are to reproduce children who grow into adults who reproduce children who grow into adults. There's a very foundational passage, a key passage in Ephesians, and I'm sorry I didn't go to the trouble to be able to put it up here on the board for you, but I I want you to listen. It's in Ephesians 4. This is a passage that changed my life when I was fighting becoming a pastor. I didn't want to be one. And this passage brought me around. In Ephesians 4, he gave them, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith, to the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I'll get into the rest of the passage in just a little bit. The reason I resisted being a pastor is I grew up in the 1950s, early 60s. How many of you remember the term preacher's kid meaning trouble? Do you know why? And I knew preacher's kids that were trouble. Because their dads were working 70 hours a week and they weren't home with their families. And the kids felt neglected. And then the kids were told, you got to sit in the front row and be there every time the church is open. And um, they didn't want to. Family's always been important to me. And as I became an adult, I looked at that and went, I want no part of that. You know, family is too important. I'm not going to sacrifice my children uh, to do something like that. And about that time, two things happened. A man named Ray Stedman wrote a book called Body Life. Are any of you familiar with that book? It's just a little book. Yeah. Didn't take long to read. And it changed the culture of the American church. Because... He went to this passage and said, the church is not made up of professional clergy. It used to be the term pastor and minister were synonymous. And you know why? Because in Ephesians 4, coming from the King James, now the King James translation was a wonderful translation, godly, scholarly, and, and uh, did a has done a marvelous service to the church since the year 1614. Well, the English language has changed a little bit since 1614. And the way this passage read was, uh, he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. And it sounded like the pastor was supposed to equip the saints, do the work of the ministry, and build up the body of Christ, and that's how a lot of churches functioned. And the pastors were working themselves to death while the body was going, go pastor. That's not what this passage says. This passage says he gave pastors and teachers for the building up of the body of Christ, or no, no, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. The responsibility is taken off the pastor's shoulders and placed on all of our shoulders. You share equally responsibility with the pastor. Now the difference is he's gifted to lead. 
And there are others among you that are gifted to lead, but not all of you are. And therefore, a pure democracy in a church doesn't work. The, the, what really works in a church is to... Uh, I, the, the free church is congregational. The important decisions are ratified by the entire congregation. I agree with that. But it's part of the job of the congregation to recognize people that God has gifted as leaders and to entrust them with leadership, to entrust them to make decisions, to bring recommendations. Um, so there, there's a difference in role, but not a difference in responsibility. The, the role of both your pastor and your teachers is to help equip you so that you can share in the work of the ministry. God shares with all of us, not just, you know, the pastors are no longer on the pedestal. I was really glad when I finally started working with a church to let me get off the pedestal and be part of the team. Um, so this, and then the, the other thing that happened in the 70s is the president of the Evangelical Free Church of America, his name was Tom McDill, he made this his mantra. I was a student at the time, and even as a seminary student, I was going, any kind of ministry but the pastoral ministry. And he kept coming around talking about this, this passage. And as I listened to him, I thought, I can buy into that. I like being part of a team. I like sharing the, the, the load. So I did become a pastor, and I've been one for 40, 41 years, and it's been a joy. This passage made a huge difference. It's a, the, God gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists. These originally were recognized offices within the church in the first century. Uh, I, don't, I don't know anybody that I would call an apostle these days. And there's a lot of argument over, you know, does that office continue? I, I don't care. Uh, what matters is God continues to work that way. Our missionaries function in more of an apostolic way. They go into areas that haven't had the gospel before, and they've got to bring the whole package. They've got to lay the foundation. And a lot of times in, in new areas where they're being open to the gospel, you hear people giving revelations from God because they don't have the word of God yet. And um, God uses these concepts, evangelists, to bring people to birth. But then the foundation has to be laid for a church because it's the body of Christ that helps people to grow and to grow into fullness. And here's what the passage says about that. Um, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all, there's another absolute, attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. This is... God's plan for the church as a body. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. There's that word fullness again. That God can reveal who He is. That Jesus can reveal who He is through His body. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. There's a lot of people out there that want to mislead. It's our job to be knowledgeable, to be solid, so that we can protect others from being misled. And so we can protect 
our own churches from being misled. Rather, and this is another one of my favorite verses. This is how we get things done. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint. You ever wonder what part of the body you are? I like to say, I'm an elbow. That's my place in the body of Christ. I I connect one person to another and kind of keep it oiled so that somebody can, you know, I'm I'm an elbow for Jim here. Uh, (laughs) So I'm glad it talks about us being joints. with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Um, So the task of the church is building up, edifying. That's a construction term. We're growing into a temple in the Lord, a building. He talks about into the unity of the faith. We need to know what we believe. It's important that in our teaching, we don't just teach how to be a good mother, how to be a good parent. Those things are important, and we teach them in our church, but it's also important that we balance that with theology, that we understand who God is. Unity of the faith and unity of the knowledge of Jesus. We need to know what we believe. We need to know who we believe. This isn't just head knowledge. This is heart knowledge. We're to pursue Jesus on a personal level, talk to him, depend on him. The things I'm about to talk about are things that are impossible for you, but God has called you to do them. Mature. Measure of the stature of fullness of Christ. Able to protect people from mistruth that's out there by speaking the truth in love. This is, in, communi- in, in counseling, we use the term assertive communication which is the golden mean between passive or aggressive. Aggressive communication is when somebody tries to control you and dominate you. Passive, passiveness is where somebody tries to control you by, by making you feel guilty, by hinting around at things. There's also passive-aggressive where they get even, even worse at that. Assertive is where you tell people truthfully how you feel, and what you need, what you want. But this says, speak the truth in love. There are harsh ways to say things, and there are gentle, loving ways to say the very same thing. And we get back to the great commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. How would I, you know, I need correction. How would I want to be told? That's how I will go to you. Uh, We speak the truth in love to keep ourselves focused, to keep ourselves from slipping away. We need to draw each other back. We need each other. And in the passage it says, everyone in every way is important. So this requires a body. You can't do it alone your mission field. You can't reach it alone. But it says when each part is working properly, the body grows and builds itself up in love. Now, love is really important. Man, 
you can walk into some churches and it's a scary place. And that's why some people are so image conscious. Got to look good. How you doing? Great. God's good. It's wonderful when you have a church where it's safe to walk in and say, man, my week has been awful. And I've really screwed up. And I need to be here. And if it's safe to walk in and talk like that, then you've got a body that can build itself up in love. In 1 Corinthians 13, we're told, if we don't have love, all the work we do, all the effort we put in is worth what? Nothing. Yeah. We've got to love each other. How does this apply to disciple-making? Disciple-making is the given task of every believer. None of you, I don't care your age, or anything is, is accepted, not just the pastor. The mission is the same here or abroad. That's why we ask churches to put the Pacific Northwest District into your missions support because the same things apply whether we're going to Germany or whether we're going up the island. Um, and you and I are called to it. And even overseas missionaries start at home. One of the things I like about Eric Sturgis is he's proved himself here. You know he's going to do a good job over there because uh, of the things that he's done here. He didn't, he didn't just say, hey, support me, I'm going to the other side of the world. Um, he's, a, he's a known quantity. Now, here's what gets complicated and simple. The complicated part is it takes a village to raise a child, they say. And... Um, we see the importance of the body. The body has many parts. We, we talked about that a little bit. Uh, and together, we mirror Christ. Individually, we mirror a little bit of him, but together, uh, we mirror him so that he can be reproduced in more lives. And this is a week after week, year after year process, and that's why we choose trained godly leaders, and we trust them to lead us. Not to lord it over us. The Bible tells leaders not to do that. But not to follow us either. To lead us. That's an important role in the, in the body. But we are all called to reproduce. Now you might say, well, I don't have the gift of evangelism. I have the gift of helps. I'd rather stack chairs, but don't make me go out and knock on doors. Well, I don't have the gift of evangelism either. So, tell you what. We'll let the people with the gift of evangelism go knock on doors. They actually kind of enjoy that. And uh, you and I can reach people that they can't. Yeah. You might say, well, I'm an introvert. I, I, introverts are particularly good at one-to-one -one communication. Particularly good. Doesn't matter who you are, God has uniquely designed you to make disciples. Um. Uh, People say the Pacific Northwest is one tough mission field. People out here, aren't, they're, they're not responsive. And I say, nonsense. We've got our own challenges, just like some other so-called tough mission fields that people go to, but the Pacific Northwest is full of people who are lost, who are hurting, who are lonely, who need Jesus, and they don't think anyone cares. So they're trying to figure out how to make it on their own. And when a person like that realizes that somebody cares, 
They begin to open up. How do they know that you care? Do you care? Do you care enough to get outside of your comfort zone? Jesus said, I came to seek and to save the lost. Do you care enough to seek for some lost? It's not hard to do. Uh, Have you done any seeking lately? As a pastor, I could spend all my time in my office writing sermons, writing, writing, you know, counseling, writing, uh, teaching curriculum, that kind of thing, and pat myself on the back and say I've done a good job. If I want to seek the lost, they're probably not going to come to my office, although, well, sometimes they have, but I need to get out there where the lost are, uh, into my neighborhood, into my community. When we moved into our uh, current house, my, my wife is a realtor, and uh, the, there's, there are two houses on the driveway, and the lady that lived in the other house was also a realtor, and Candy got the listing, so she said, I want you, she said, we had some neighbors that were Christians, and I want you to get us some good non-Christian neighbors. Now, this it wasn't because she wanted to reach them. This is because she wasn't a Christian, and she was tired of being around Christians. So uh, we bought the house. And we befriended these neighbors of ours. And some years later, they agreed to come to a Bible study and have come to the Lord. It took a long time. First, they had to know that we just loved them and that we, they could trust us. And it took time to build the relationship. But it was a lot of fun to see those, those walls start to come down just by loving them. Um, I have two ways that I've chosen to get out into the community. Politics and entertainment. I like politics. I've been an elected official. Uh, you can get into some really, some really high. It takes a particular kind of person, but if you like a good argument on a community level, there's a way to fight the good fight. Uh, anyhow, ask Jim what he does to get out into the community. You know what kind of what kind of contacts he's made. How the Lord is is uh, opening doors for him. Um, and then when we get out, when, when we seek people, when we start to make contact with people, then we need to live like Jesus. Uh, now, that's an impossible calling. I'm not, <laughs> there's nothing good in, in me and myself. But if I let Jesus live through me, he does some good things. Um, when I was in politics, one of the things I had to do was lead public hearings. We brought, now you know how fiercely independent people in the Northwest are. We brought a zoning ordinance to the community of La Center. A zoning ordinance is, we're going to tell you what you can and can't do with your property. And I got to lead the public hearings on that. And this is a community where people were used to coming and fighting, sometimes physically, at public meetings. And I just decided, I'm going to treat these people. How would Jesus treat these people? He'd treat them re- with respect. He'd listen to them. So people would air their, their problems, raise their questions, and I'd just listen to them respectfully, answer their questions, and at the end of the meeting, people walked out going, huh, what happened there? 
And it was really not because I'm a good person, but because Jesus is, it was really kind of easy to disarm people. And um, long story short, over a period of years, uh, several people on the town council came to the Lord just by seeing the difference and by saying, what is it? What's going on here? Um, So listen to people. Give people, you know, if you uh, make contact with somebody, give them the gift of time and understanding. And um, again, it's, it's not hard to do. We, uh, yesterday, we walked into several different shops and we were in a restaurant. And uh, the restaurant, I just mentioned to the waiter, this chowder is really good. And the next thing we knew, his dad was over talking to us at the table. We just gave a compliment, and he was giving us the history of the restaurant and, and uh, you know, some of the secrets about, the, uh, about their recipe. And, and uh, if we lived here, we could have started a relationship with this gentleman because uh, he, he wanted to talk about it. People have things they want to talk about. If you compliment them and then if you listen... Uh, it was the same in some shops. You know, I'd just make a comment and somebody would say something, I'd go, oh, you're interested in that? And away they'd go. It's, God will open doors. Um, sometimes it requires a lot of listening. While we were having a meeting yesterday, my phone rang and I looked at it and went, well, there's a sermon illustration. It was a gentleman that I've been sharing Christ with. Uh, getting involved in government, there's a lot of entities in a community that, that participate in, in decision-making, and in our community, one of the entities is the Klamath tribes. So I've had a chance to get to know some of the tribal leaders. Some of them are believers, some of them are not. And this gentleman, not a believer, and uh, this is as close as you can come to cross-cultural ministry in, in, in our culture. Although on this island, you've got a lot of artists and homeless teenagers, and uh, it's, it'll be like cross-cultural ministry. I worked in an official capacity with this gentleman for years, and we came to respect each other. Later on, when he had a needy time in his life, he reached out to me, and we became friends. I have spent sometimes over a year meeting with him once a week, listening to his religious background. I can tell you a lot about Native American beliefs now and how they, there's ways that they intersect with our beliefs. And, um, you know, over a long period of time, I don't know if he's going to become a Christian what he'll tell you if you talk to him today is he'll say, I'm not born again, but I pretty much believe everything that this guy believes. Um, at one point, he asked me, so are you meeting with me just so that you can convert me? What would you say to somebody if they asked you that? You know, if you'd befriended them for the cause of Christ and they put that question to you. Um, because... Our responsibility is not to convert people. The Bible never says convert people. It says love them and make disciples of them. So I knew that. So I just smiled at him and said, that's not my job. That's God's job. I said, now if God twists your arm, you better listen. 
but I'm not going to twist your arm. I'm your friend. And uh, he relaxed, and he smiled, and he said, okay, tell me more. (laughs) Our job is not an overbearing job. Jesus said, come to me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. He's on the heavy side of the yoke, but he's given us the joy of being able to share him with people that need him. Offer hope. Uh, People are hurting. They're they're in need. And I I see that we're running out of time, so I will compress this. Um, I could tell a lot of stories. I was in, in entertainment. I've been in plays. And in plays, you spend a lot of time sitting backstage waiting and interacting with other people. And I remember there was this one gal that I was just doing my best to not ogle because she was so attractive in every way. But she kept looking at me, and so I started talking to her. And after a while, we, you know, we started to get to know each other a little bit better and eventually found out that um, her main job is she was a stripper. And she hated it, but she felt trapped in it and didn't know how to get out, kind of the classic story that you see in the movies. And um, so I was able to share Christ with her, and I was able to tell her, God doesn't want you to do this, so I believe he will give you a way out. I believe that he will take care of you. I gave her hope. And she went and quit her job that day. And God did provide for her. And some years later, it was my privilege to perform her wedding with a wonderful man. And they're in music ministry together today. You know, you can have that joy of being involved in, in other people's stories if you're willing to get involved in their lives. Uh, and it's God that does the work. Commit for the long haul. Uh, making disciples, by the way, takes time. Just somebody prays the prayer, that doesn't, mean they're, that doesn't mean they're a mature reproducing disciple. I've found in Bible studies that if you work with people on a weekly level, weekly basis for three years, they can get to the place where they're ready to turn around and do the same thing. So be willing to give time. This is a lifetime commitment to make disciples. Pray. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. It's Christ that works in us. Um, So, it's not hard to get started. Like I said yesterday, my wife and I, if we lived here, we could have started some things just by walking into shops and restaurants. uh, Or, and this one just, this was clients as well. There was one, you know, we were walking into one shop and, it was a yarn shop, and the wife is going, oh, goody, and she's heading into the store, and the husband looked at me, and, went, and I looked at him and went, uh-oh. <laughs> and he was ready to talk. I don't know who they were, but it's not that hard to just be open to people. Just be open to what God would, what opportunities would, God might give you. Uh, so I'd like to say that, yeah, yesterday I shared the gospel three times and saw at least one person come to Christ. That didn't happen. For most of us, it takes longer than that. Life on life. That's what Bruce Martin was talking about. Let Jesus live through you and see how if he's lifted up, he'll draw other people to himself. It's not me that does it. Uh, We're we're told we're to be the aroma of Christ. And believe me, that's way better than the aroma of Rick. Because... uh, I'm pretty good at stinking up the place, but Jesus has a way of working through us to draw people to himself.
He didn't, share, he didn't shove the gospel down people's throats. We didn't have to do that. You don't have to go out and share the gospel with somebody today. He uncovered their hunger until they were asking questions. And most of the people I've shared the gospel with aren't going, yeah, don't, don't do that. They're saying, tell me more, tell me more, because they get to a place where they're, they're hungry and where that hunger has been uncovered. Um, <clears throat> so go. That's a command. Go into your world. Do it prayerfully. Seeking people to love. Jefferson Airplane had this song, you got to find somebody to love. And the rest of the song doesn't make much sense to me, but that phrase, if that plays in your head this afternoon, take it as from God. <laughs> uh, give time, give an ear, give understanding. And as people start talking about what the hurts in their life, offer to pray for them. My wife is a realtor and she breaks all the rules of real estate. She offers to pray with clients and they have never turned her down and they often cry <laughs> because somebody cares. You know, people need to know that somebody cares. So relax and enjoy the friendship. Um, do your part. God will do his part. I don't consider myself a super prayer warrior, but I do know how to pray effectively. And it goes like this. God, help me to understand what my part is and help me to do it well. Help me to understand what your part is and to get out of your way. He said the Holy Spirit will convict people of sin. The Holy Spirit will open blind eyes. But you will be my witnesses. It's a wonderful partnership. And uh, I'm going to close by praying for you that you can enjoy seeing what that partnership produces in your life. Lord, thank you that we're not in this alone, that the God of the universe, the one who fills all things, who has all authority, chooses to live in us. And without you, we can do nothing. But if we let you, we can have great joy of seeing how you get into people's lives and being able to participate in that. I pray that for each person in this room, that they can have the joy of seeing you work through them to open doors in other people's lives and to reproduce. And then I pray that you'll give this church collectively the understanding of what it takes to spend the years that it takes with people to reproduce reproducers and to continue the great commandment and the great commission. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.